on this episode of the World of CONCACAF. World Cup qualifying is done for 2021, and we're here to talk about where we sit. Hello, welcome to the World of CONCACAF podcast. I am Eric Schmitz. I'm Jonathan Slate. And I'm Donald Wine. And Donald and I are fresh off the plane uh, from beautiful, warm, sunny, breezy Jamaica. Uh, Donald, how are you feeling right now? Uh, I need a few more Bob Marley's in my system. Um, no, no, ladies and gentlemen, I'm talking about actual an actual drink. <laughs> Um, that was called the Bob Marley. It was very, very delicious, and I had several of them. Yeah, I am jonesing already for more jerk chicken. Um, but we'll be getting more about that in our CONCACAF laser focus. Uh, but World Cup qualifying, it's going. It's the most important thing we got going. Uh, so let's talk about it. So we'll just hop right into scoreboard watch. Uh, window for november is complete uh jonathan what happened on the first match day match day seven so we'll start with the we'll start we'll we'll start with a honduras panama and then we'll work to the good stuff okay um, so you know honduras with a two zero two three loss to panama panama with a late late goal um uh, actually three late goals um the fact that Honduras went up uh, 2-0, and then Panama came storming back, um, starting with a goal first in the 77th minute. Uh, we had a 1-1 draw between El Salvador and Jamaica. Um, Canada with a 1-0 win over Costa Rica, and um, a tradition like none other. <laughs> um, a The United States with a 2 or dose. <laughs> Um, and uh, Mexico with uh, uh, a, a zero or a zero. Dos a zero, I believe, was the final score uh, of that game. Um, it's a multi- multilingual scoreline. For yeah, this, this is the multilingual scoreline. Um, I mean, we could have done all of them, but I think it's most importantly um, that we we put that one um, in for for our, our Mexican listeners. Yes. Yeah. Um, now. I was the only one that happened to be at this game. Um, little inside baseball here. Uh, so I attended this game while Donald and Jonathan were at a wedding. We're in New Jersey for a wedding that all three of us attended on Saturday. Um, so we want to take a time out on the podcast to congratulate our dear friends, uh, Joe and Millie, on their wedding. Uh, great times were had by all. Uh, so congratulations, guys. We love you. Um, I, I do want to talk about the watch environment real quick. While okay. We, while we've while we've taken this, taken okay. This so break. wedding talk here. Uh, so so just um, 
it, originally we thought this was going to be a chance for the first time for all three of us to watch a game together. But for some reason, Eric thought it was important to go to the game. Uh, I was swayed by um, extenuated circumstances. Extenuating circumstances. But um, so weddings on a Saturday, Friday night is the rehearsal dinner, um, followed by those of us that were in town, which was the large majority of the people. Um, we watched it uh, in a hotel bar. Um, a hotel bar that actually was also a club <laughs> and um, it was already a hype game. But when you have a DJ, I mean, just like bring in the heat the entire time. So we didn't have sound, but I mean, we had a soundtrack and it was just uh, it was quite incredible. Yeah. Sound like there was, was a guys had some energy there. Oh, Definite there experience. There was energy. There was there was energy. The yeah. vibes were immaculate. Yeah. Well, I have to say, in spite of Ohio's reputation and the expectation, Cincinnati, they Cincinnati did very good. Um, TQL Stadium, absolutely gorgeous. Uh, they got a nice little setup with the area that the stadium is in. Um, the energy in the stadium was pretty incredible. Um, now, I didn't attend the last U.S. home to Mexico game uh, in the last cycle. Um, that but, one didn't happen. Yeah. Um, we're not going to talk, go back to that. But for this one, um, the energy, the U.S. clearly picked the stadium because they wanted a home environment, and they got it. It was really good. Um, the interesting thing is, like, I felt like there was a lot of fanfare uh, U.S. soccer gave everyone like those light up wristbands that are like LED, like radio controlled things. Um, those things are expensive. I, I mean, I kind of know from working in the industry, those run like five bucks a piece uh, with all the programming and stuff like that. So 26,000 of them, like just for the pregame light show, it set them back a little bit. But when that game started, like that place popped off. And now the first the first half wasn't that um, there wasn't a lot of, there wasn't any scoring. Um, but the U S pretty much carried play most of the game. And once Pulisic subbed in the second half, like and it was still zero, zero, you knew it's like, man, all you need is one little thing to happen. The U S is going to take this game. And they ended up taking the game and it was a pretty decisive victory. Um, and to get that score line, like that's both com combination of a huge boost to the United States and a sucker punch to the nuts of Mexico to, to have that happen to them again, losing to the U S for the third time in a year by that score line, absolutely brutal for Mexico, but you love to see it. You absolutely now, love to see it. Now here's the thing we got to talk about. We got to talk about the thing and you know what I mean by the thing. So fast or flashback to a couple days before the game, Mexico is in a press conference and goalkeeper memo Ochoa had some comment about, you know, someone was trying to say, well, how do you compare Mexico, Mexico's program to the United States? And he basically said, you know, when, when we're, we're who the United States sees in the mirror uh, when they look in it, because we're trying to emulate them. Very innocuous comment, like whatever. Didn't really get a lot of fanfare before the game. 
our American players. They listen. American players took note. They listened. They heard it. And fast forward to the day of the game. The uh, when Christian Pulisic scored his goal, he lifted up his jersey to reveal a shirt that had written in in Sharpie, "Man in the Mirror." That's all it said. But those players knew what it meant. We finally figured out what it meant. And on top of that, and Eric, you can confirm this. After the game was over, they played Michael Jackson's Man in the Mirror throughout the entire stadium. And they had that queued up, ready to go in case we oh, won yeah. the game. Um, so it, we talk about some of the, the banter back and forth and some of the some of the caca caffing. Uh, that was level, that was grade A level bantering right there, because not only did they respond with something in kind, now it is the now it's the entire talk. And now Manuel probably wishes he never said this, you know, random comment. Uh, in yeah. in his press conference because they took that and the smallest thing, ladies and gentlemen, can be used as bulletin board material. That was it for the United States. Yeah. Now that goal was scored on the opposite end from where I was sitting. I was in the American Outlaws section uh, behind the opposite goal. So we never saw him raise his shirt. We had no. And then at the end of the game, they're playing Michael Jackson. I. Like, no one made the connection, didn't make sense to anyone. It was after the game that, like, we found out, like, oh, oh, that's what happened. Like, it was just some little offhand comment by Memo Ochoa in a press conference a few days before that no one picked up on. All of a sudden became this flashpoint for the team and spurred them on to victory. And clearly it was, like, such a internal thing, like, U.S. soccer going to the DJ and be like, yo, when we win, you're playing this song. And you played it, and it was looking back, like in hindsight, it it feels like such a moment. But I have to say, as being there, it's like I had completely missed it. I mean, I was even saying on the TV, like we didn't necessarily get a view. We saw him lift up the shirt, and but we couldn't see what it said. I mean, we, of course, were able to go on Twitter and see it. Um I do like knowing that it was who I feel are probably two of I would put in the top five um, uh, shithousers on the team as far as like just from a cheekiness. So we, we find out that it is Tim Wea and DeAndre Yedlin who are the ones that go to the uh, the equipment guy. and was like, hey, so I want you to put this on the shirt that Christian's going to wear underneath his jersey. Um, put that on which, a T-shirt. But yeah, put, put it on a shirt. Speaking of putting it on a shirt um go check out the american outlaws newest merch um they have a really awesome man in the mirror shirt yeah now we aren't going to talk just about this game we're going to go back to and co- talk about these other three games because they are important as well but just overall mexico losing three huge games to the u.s in a calendar year actually i mean in the span of six months like, do you feel that the rivalry has flipped now officially when you go through, have three separate competitions and three victories for the U.S.? So I just want to say this to, I'm going to address the Burhalter haters out there because there's a lot of them that listen to this show and every other show. Y'all need to come up with better material now. <laughs> you do, Jonathan. <laughs> he, I mean, you, you do. No, no. Here's the, with the double here's the thing, right? Here's the thing. When it comes to Mexico, that is our main rival. No 
no team has ever beat the other three times in one year since 1937. 1937. Okay, so that's step one. Two, I think the pro- I think the problem with the with the Burhalter hate. Even after this game, there was Burhalter hate about how people wanted him to leave. The people that those people, a lot of those people, wanted to be the U.S. coach in place of Burhalter is sitting on the Mexico bench. And that same coach, Mr. Tata Martino, a great coach, by the way, has just lost to the United States three times in one year. So the guy that was the direct competition that you thought should have sat in the chair couldn't beat the guy who was currently sitting in the chair that you don't think belongs in it. So I think when it comes to Burhalter, and it just just that, I just want to address that because I think it's important for people to understand that when you beat Mexico, that is a major achievement. When you do it three times in one year, that is a monumental achievement. And for any coach who is a United States national team coach who sits in that chair, they have earned the respect to at least get a day where you don't talk about firing him. Tate, on the other hand, a lot of people talk about firing him because as we will talk about, he had a very rough window. <laughs> but I don't, not, I, I, I don't like that every single time the, that the United States wins, it's never Greg Berhalter's credit. If they, mm. if they draw or lose, it's always only his fault, and that's got to change. We, we as, as, as a soccer culture, need to stop saying one guy gets the blame, one, or these guys get the credit. Everyone, when, when the team loses, the team loses. When the team wins, there can be guys that can be singled out, but you have to give Greg Berhalter credit for how he put together this game, how he rallied his troops to go out there and beat Mexico, and to do it dos cero, the one thing that we asked them to do, he did it. He deserves a lot of credit for it. Yeah, I mean, I can even, so we can start naming names. I'm not going to at this moment. Um, and, and this isn't a, a, a group of Burhalter apologists. It's just, it's, it's um, infuriating and intellectually dishonest. Um, just, it's always, the, the story coming out of this game was that the, the players did it in spite of him um when the team was just set up really really well um i think one of the games that i do like if we're going to talk about just the concacaf nature of and teams that are learning to concacaf uh and we'll get to match day eight later um but i do just want to talk about canada um who is um just gr- our, our small neighbors to the north is is growing up before our eyes they're 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 finally learning to walk um, in the area of CONCACAF, um, they they put it in the um, podunk area of uh, of Edmonton, and, and yeah. I mean, and the cold, um, and get a one zero one against Costa Rica. Yeah, uh, the minnow becoming a fish before our eyes uh, in Canada. Tadpole becoming a frog. <laughs> yeah, the fish uh, steelhead. You know, if we want to get get to Canada. Um, I will say about the, also that game, I believe, is the largest attendance they've ever had for a Canada soccer game in that country. So uh, 48,000 people there in the cold in Edmonton. So yeah, when we, we, we talked about this on a, on a previous show, when they announced that they're going to put both Costa Rica and Mexico in Edmonton, we were like, man, we wish the United States would do something like that. That's, that's what's up. Like, yeah. I know they had a blast in that cold, especially getting that win and, and, I mean, who knows, you know, 
that they're now talking about, they're kind of reevaluating everything about how they approach their venue selection for Canada, which I think is great. But also since we're playing them in January, the United States, I say, I wish you would put it in Edmonton. I wish you would go ahead. Yeah. See what happens. No, it's like you kind of wish teams would embrace what they are in Canada. It's fucking cold. So play in the cold. You know, that's your, like, that is your advantage. And like, I, I mean, I am not a Canada fan in general, but I applaud them and I love that they are embracing what they are and using like, yes, November in Edmonton. Sure. Costa Rica, what should be one of the top teams in CONCACAF coming to coming to your building. Like, you know, they're not going to go score a goal. You know, they're not going to have a quality game. Like go try, consider yourself like in a good spot for one point and the chance to steal three in a big home game. And they went and got three points. Uh, that Jonathan David goal, like, that's all they needed. Um, that sets them up to qualify. Just, like, getting that result in that environment, like, that's what, that's that's the whole point. Like, use, use what you got. And Canada's got cold. And use it to your advantage. And they're doing that. Great to see. I mean, see. it's just like, it's just like every other nation we go to, they, they, I mean, they have the little gamesmanship tactics, but you know, like, you know, in Jamaica, it's always muggy and, you know, in yeah. El Salvador, it's, it's, you know, we have smog someplace or, or I'm sorry, Azteca it's in altitude and it has smog. So you can't breathe. They embrace that. They, yeah. they put, they deliberately say, Oh, United States. Oh, you're not used to this, huh? Well, you're playing here. Cause we're used to it. And they just said, we're going to put it in the cold and snow. And I hope, and I, and I hope you brought Parkas and I hope you, I hope you like our targets closed. Like you can't get none. So I think that was really good. Yeah. Cause wasn't it last cycle that Honduras played the U S at home in the middle of the afternoon? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. They'll play like, us at like 3 PM, you know, because yeah. they want us to be at the bulk yeah. heat of the day and mug and mugginess where in the 30th minute, our guys are gassed and their guys are like, ah, this is just an evening after, you know, lovely yeah. afternoon stroll in the afternoon. Yeah. Oh, you guys are tired. Mugginess. You guys are tired, huh? Yeah. Weird. Weird how that happens. Um, so yeah, big win for Canada. Um, we should touch on these other games too. Uh, El Salvador, Jamaica, one, one Jamaica, Mikel Antonio, the guy that we've talked about for months, making a big impact. He comes on as a sub and gets them a one Oh lead in El Salvador, which we went to El Salvador. That's a tough environment to go into and to put yourself in a position to be ahead in the last 10 minutes. Fantastic work for Jamaica, who was needing a result. And then Hugo Perez's squad gets a goal 90th minute on a header by Alex Roldan. Um, a dual, like two dual nationals making big impacts for their team. And then the other match of the match day. Panama three, Honduras two, Honduras blowing another second half lead uh, at home. It's like absolutely brutal times for that program. Uh, I did see some stat. I could be wrong, so I'm going to put it on wax here anyway. Uh, this was the first time that a team had come back from down two goals in the 75th minute or later to win in World Cup qualifying in CONCACAF, like ever. Yeah, I believe we've, I mean, we've had teams draw that United States was one of them 2009, 
the Jonathan Borstein game um, was a two was a down two with about 10 minutes left, but we drew that game. We didn't win it. I think this is the first team to win it. Yeah. So Panama just absolutely killing it out here, getting, getting a win in Honduras. Like you get a cu- couple of wins on the road and you're in a position to qualify here. Yeah. And I know for the teams in the top three, uh, really did not want to see Panama. I mean, that this was the first game, so we saw this but before the other games took place. But I think that if if Panama loses that game, um, that puts them in a place where we start to see some separation um between the top three, between the automatic qualifying spots and the and the fourth place spot. Um and, and we'll talk about kind of if we cover match day eight where where the standings are, but um definitely it's 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 packed right there at that top four. Okay. So that wraps us up for match day seven. We've got CONCACAF laser focus ahead. We're going to talk about Jamaica. But first things first, we've got a Jack Warner update. Now, I haven't know, don't know if you guys have seen the news, um, but this report out of Fox Sports, well, actually, it was from the Daily Mail. I found it on Fox Sports. Um, I'll just go ahead and read it for you, give you the overview. Uh, the FFA um, out of Australia uh, deny allegations that paid disgraced Jack Warner half a million dollars for World Cup influence. Now, as many of you know, Jack Warner, the former president, leader of CONCACAF, the Trinidad and Tobago uh, executive, uh, much maligned, to put it lightly. Um, I'll read you this first part of this article. Uh, The allegation has been made to Michael Garcia, the American lawyer leading FIFA's investigations into claims of corruption in the bidding for the 2018 and 2022 World Cups. The whistleblower, who attended meetings at which the Australian bid team discussed the Warner transaction and others of a similar nature, claims that while the money was paid to upgrade the Marvin Lee Stadium in Macoya, Trinidad, it was always intended to influence Warner's vote. Warner was at the time president of CONCACAF, the governing body for football in North America, Central America, and the Caribbean. Editor, like, just editorializing here, CONCACAF, the best confederation on the planet. Uh, <laughs> continuing, the stadium is part of the Jao Havalange Center of Excellence, a football academy built on land alleged to have been owned by Warner. He denied ownership, insisting it belonged to the Caribbean Football Union, of which he was president. A check for $462,200 was deposited into an account controlled by Warner in September 2010, and an official report into integrity in Caribbean football in April 2013 concluded that he, quote, misappropriated these funds. Uh, The 2018 and 2022 votes in which Warner participated, along with 21 fellow members of FIFA's executive committee, took place in December 2010, the tournaments being awarded to Russia and Qatar, respectively. Uh, Continuing on, Australia, whose bid for the 2022 tournament had been in competition with Japan, South Korea, and the United States, as well as Qatar, received only one vote in the initial ballot, despite spending $43 million on their bid. So that's coming from Nick Harris and his staff writers from the Daily Mail. Uh, essentially, Australia is under fire for giving out this money and getting nothing out of it. And Jack Warner pocketing this money. Jonathan, how does this make you feel that even all these years later, Jack Warner still taking... Go ahead. I would say, I mean, Jack Warner will 
there will be times it it'll be the year 3075 <laughs> and we'll find out that Jack Warner there's there's still we'll still be uncovering money um that Jack Warner misappropriatedly put it into his own bank account. Um I mean I think that we've always known that World Cup qualifying or what World Cup qualifying world the World Cup bidding process was a corrupt um organ like process but I think that the 2018 and the 2022 um processes have really really shone a light on how corrupt it actually was because i think that um you know i'm looking back to even i remember watching them announcing this and i think it was you know pretty wildly thought that you know england was going to get 2018 and then in the 2022 came down to really the u.s or australia um and I was very much of the mind of, well, if it can't be the U S I don't mind it. I don't mind going to Australia in 2022 um, by any chance, but like it just sucks that we have to continue to talk about what all the wrongdoing that he has done and all of the, because let's be honest, as, as frustrating as it is for just to see it for our own confederation, um, this was money that was being directly taken out of, uh, the pockets of these uh, of the member member states of the Caribbean Football Union. We're finally starting to see um, the Caribbean, uh, the CFU, really take step forwards and being competitive within the region. I mean, Concacaf Nations League is a large part of that, but what this man did to set back those programs um, generationally, uh, it's going to take a long time to to dig that out. Yeah, um, and now this has created, like, this has instigated an investigation from FIFA into the FFA and other money that might have been spent during this bid process. Uh, There's another quote in here that a spokesman for the FFA added, um, under FFA's International Football Development Program, a grant was made to fund preliminary design and feasibility work on a CONCACAF Center of Excellence in Trinidad. The funds were paid to a CONCACAF bank account in 2010, and the program was documented in FFA's World Cup bid reports, which were in turn subject to Australian government oversight. So the fact that like, this money was paid out and they couldn't back up where it was going, and, I mean, well, they could back up where it was going, but that money ended up in the pockets of old Jack here, Um Australia's bid committee is in trouble, and I know they're going to be bidding for tournaments down the line, and this does not help their case whatsoever. I mean, let's. I'm just going to take it real quick. Um, I forgot about this bid picture. Um, Australia deserved to lose the bid based on the picture in this article. <laughs> yes, it is kangaroo. a it is a cartoon kangaroo with an executive. Um, it's quite disturbing, to be honest. Um, Donald, do you have any thoughts? Jack Warner sucks. Thanks, Donald. Uh, next, we're going to go to our CONCACAF laser focus. Jonathan actually has to dip out for a bit. He's going to record a live episode for uh, Speedway Soccer. Is that correct, John? That is correct. Okay. So John's going to step off for a little bit. We are going to go to Jamaica with you for our CONCACAF laser focus. We'll be right back.
Okay, it is time for this edition of CONCACAF Laser Focus. And this edition is about Jamaica. Donald, have we been to Jamaica? Oh, I've been many times, but have you been to Jamaica? Yeah, I was going to say, like, we were there this week. Like, I mean, we literally just got back yesterday. So, like, like I still got a little bit of sunburn. Like, it's been that, it's been that recent. Um, so we're going to talk about Jamaica. Uh, so just some background on the country itself. If you weren't familiar, Jamaica is an island. It's an island situated just south of Cuba. Um, Jamaica, actually, for us English speakers, Jamaica is the third most populous uh, English-speaking country in the Americas, behind, of course, U.S. and Canada. So if you're someone who does not speak other languages well or at all, Jamaica seems like the place to go because you can actually like communicate with people and get around and all that stuff like that. I can tell you, having been there this week, I struggled uh, just because of the accent. I'm deaf, very, very bad with hearing people, and you feel like an idiot not even able to understand people speaking English. But well, the, the thing about ahead. it, though, right? Like, I, I lived in Miami for a few years, right? So I, I had yeah. that. I've been to Jamaica several times, so I had that. Where you struggle and where a lot of people struggle even here in America is that they're wearing masks. So when you have an accent, your in, your instinct is to try and read the lips to kind of formulate what they are saying to, to match the sound that you're hearing. But you can't do that when it's muffled behind a mask. And we, we've we experienced that. You know, you know I, I'm sure in Nashville, you'll hear someone say, you know, talking in a heavy southern accent. And you're like, what, what, what are you to say? Yeah. That's the reason. It's not necessarily the accent is difficult. Some are. Uh, uh -huh. are, are very thick but the mask was really an issue yeah. uh for a lot of people yeah and i mean to be honest like everyone was wearing masks like it was great everyone. to see like yeah it's like there was the expectation that everyone was supposed to be wearing masks which with the way things have been in the u.s recently uh you kind of you're kind of jealous everything was pretty safe there um but anyways jamaica much like the story we've heard before um, the indigenous people of the island uh, got visited by a fellow named Christopher Columbus back in the day uh, who showed up and wreaked some havoc on the people who were already there. Um, they originally, after Columbus showed up, uh, Spain kind of ran the island for a bit before England uh, conquered it uh, in the 1600s, um, and they renamed it Jamaica. Now they've been they were under British colonial rule for a while, um, as we've discussed many times on this podcast. You know, imperialism, not <laughs> it's, it's a recurring theme in this region. Um, so that long British rule definitely had uh, a lot of effects on what Jamaica became. Um, hence the English speaking that they have now. Um, well, they Jamaica, also have little things too, right? Like. Uh, they drive on the left side of the road. They're one of the few countries that still drive on the left side. Uh, they drive on the left side of the road instead of the right because uh -huh. of that British influence. And, you know, I think up until even a few years ago, the, you know, the queen of England was the head of state or at least the ceremonial head of state in Jamaica as well. Oh, still is still is Jamaica is a parliamentary democracy and a constitutional monarchy. Uh, the queen of Jamaica is the queen even still um i mean they 
independently ruled and things of that nature, but you know, the queen is still the queen to them. Um, they did get their independence um, in the mid 1900s. Um, right now, the country is kind of struggling with some violence, uh, things of that nature. Um, but if you're an American, odds are you've if you've traveled to the Caribbean, you've probably been to Jamaica. Um, tourism is huge there. Um, it's a big part of their economy. Um, we spent time in Montego Bay. We're going to talk about that in a little bit. Jamaica got their independence in 1962, um, but and they are still in a developing country. Um, but another thing that's developing there, especially of late, is their soccer. Uh, Donald, do you want to tell us more about the soccer in Jamaica? Yeah, well, it's funny that you mentioned that it's been developing because the Jamaican, the Jamaica Football Federation, or the JFF, is one of the oldest federations in CONCACAF. It was founded in 1910. It's older than the U.S. Soccer Federation, which was 1913. So uh, Jamaica's been around for been on the block for a long time. They got FIFA affiliation in 1962 and CONCACAF affiliation in 1963. So uh, just in generally. Uh, the, the, how the structure of the pyramid goes, in addition to the men's and women's national teams and their youth national teams, we have a men's domestic league pyramid, which has several leagues, uh, as well as the domestic cup, which is the JFF Champions Cup. So I'm going to talk a little bit quickly about the women's national team, uh, the reggae girls. Um, obviously, we have the reggae boys. The reggae girls obviously takes their name from that. Girls with a Z. Yes, with a Z, reggae boys with a Z, um, because that is the Jamaican flair. Um, but the thing about the reggae girls is, again, they've been around since 1991, so they're more they're more established as a women's program. They may have not have been very good, but they have improved tremendously over the past few years. Their highest FIFA ranking ever is 50th, which was in March of 2020, and they're currently 51st. So they're right hovering around the, the best that they've ever been. If you go back to 2018, they qualified for the 2019 World Cup by finishing third in the CONCACAF Women's Championship, which was kind of an upset for them to uh, beat the likes of Mexico and Panama to get into the World Cup. They lost all three matches in France. They only scored one goal, but that wasn't, that wasn't what was important here. What it is is there's a sign uh, that after 30 years of, of program, they're ready to attempt to make the leap into becoming one of the top three teams in CONCACAF and one of the top women's programs in the world. That is their goal right now. Right now, they're just on the cusp of, you know, they're not going to be competing with the U.S. and Canada on the women's side uh, for quite a bit, but they're starting to get to that point where they're going to contend with Mexico and Panama and those teams to try and be that, that third option for CONCACAF when it comes to World Cups, especially as the World Cup for the women starts to expand to 32 teams. The one thing about the women's team right now that is a black eye right now is that they're currently without a coach. Uh, their coach, Hubert Boosby Jr., was suspended a couple of weeks ago indefinitely by the JFF. He's a Canadian-born coach and was coaching for uh, the women's team of the Vancouver Whitecaps back in 2010 and 2011. He was accused of sexual misconduct by a player who he coached on that team. So he was suspended indefinitely. We don't know what his status is right now, uh, but it does not seem like he will be back on the sidelines uh, anytime soon 
for the Jamaican women's national team. So we will see what that means for the program, immediate future of the program for Mm -hmm. Jamaica. But I think when it comes to the talent that they have and the talent that they're producing, we're seeing a lot better players coming out of Jamaica and is making, again, everyone not named United States or Canada uh, on the women's side. They're, they're a team that kind of look at as an example of how to grow and how to just blossom into uh, one of the more established and, and better programs in this region. Yeah. And one of the things I like about uh, that program is, I mean, we talk about how a lot of these countries just don't get the support for their women's national teams that they should, not from the Federation. The Jamaican women's national team actually has support um, both as far as awareness goes and financially from Sadella Marley, uh, Bob Marley's daughter, who has taken it upon herself to really boost the program, give it some money, give it some funding. And you see as part of the growth, like what that kind of support can do uh, for a program like this. And I mean, just like on the men's side, you know, obviously we were there for a men's game. So everyone knew that there was a men's game. Everyone knew why we were there that like, Mm -hmm. we, we were very clear about why we were on the Island. But when it comes to the women, would they have matches? that same awareness is there. People are aware that there's games, they're on TV and people uh, may not be in the stands in big numbers, but they're, they're supporting through their awareness. And I think that is where this program is going right now. That is helping fuel interest in improving the program ever steadily. And that's why they've seen some of the better, you know, the best success that they've had so far. Yeah. So the Jamaican women's team on the way up, the Jamaican men's team, you thought they were on their way up, but they've been struggling a little bit lately. Uh, Jamaican men's national team, uh, they've been a history of being a competitive team. Uh, they've got one World Cup appearance, uh, 1998. Uh, they finished third in the group, but failed to advance. Um, I mean, the Caribbean Cup, they're, they've perennially be, been one of the better teams in the Caribbean. Um, six Caribbean Cup titles. Um of late, they've been very competitive in the Gold Cup, um, finishing twice as runners-up in 2015 and 2017, uh, falling to Mexico and the United States in finals, but also getting big wins over those teams in on their way to the final. Um, they did also make it to the Copa America in 2015 and 2016. Uh, didn't get past the group stage. Uh, but they're in the upper echelon of CONCACAF. Um, Their head coach, Theodore Whitmore, um, currently the head coach, there's been some discussions about whether or not he's been sacked this week uh, after this past November window. Um, The JFF has come out and disputed those that he's been sacked and replaced. Um, So he's currently still the head coach. Right now, they're not in a good position for qualification, which is somewhat disappointing because one of the things about their program, and we've discussed this many times on past episodes of the podcast, is that they've really emphasized finding dual nationals and going across the ocean to England and to Europe to find players to help build up the program. Um, One person we'll be talking about very shortly when we're discussing the the next match uh michael antonio um huge addition that's a talent they don't typically have um 
but really the backbone of this national team right now, Andre Blake. Um, arguably, with him and Kaylor Navas of Costa Rica, are the two best keepers in the region. Um, with a guy like that, you're always competitive. Uh, they have been struggling in qualifying right now. It's tough sledding for them to try to make it back to the World Cup. Um, as we said, they've only uh, qualified the once in 1998. Um, but it's a program that has a lot of potential with this influx of new talent um, right now. So we went and saw this team in action at their home stadium, uh, the National Stadium at Independence Park. Uh, Donald, what are your thoughts on the vibes of the stadium? Or do well, we want to go... Sec- do we want to get the full trip in first? We could do the full trip because honestly, I think it's important to talk about this trip compared with past ones that we've done there okay. because uh, of w- what we were talking about, the COVID yeah. restrictions that have been in place for the entire Island. And we start with, uh, for all of us, we had to, you know, make sure that we all had to fill out, you know, the proper forms upload our COVID vaccinations and all of us had to get a negative test to within 72 hours to even enter the country. So that was the first thing is you had to enter the country with both of those. It's the first country we've been to where even vaccinated members have had to still get a negative COVID test to enter the country, which, you know, obviously we all did. We all passed with flying colors and and we were happy to do that for the game. Yeah, no, I mean, for all these trips that we've been doing, it's, once you're vaccinated, a lot of countries are cool with that. But COVID is so bad in Jamaica right now. Their vaccination rates are extremely, extremely low. I think they're hovering around 20%, um, which, I mean, we talk about certain areas in the U.S. that are not doing very well with vaccination being around 50 or 60%. Jamaica's at 20 So that you're, you need to be safe if you're Jamaica for letting people in because you can't really with vaccination rates so low, you can't really risk having that come in. So the, uh, that's the first part of things, right? That's just to go to Jamaica, right? Now, the biggest part about this is that up until about two weeks ago, we did not know that we were going to be able to go to this game. And that's because up until that point, Jamaica had said no fans and they had had no fans in the office, which is uh, the, the common nickname for, uh, national stadium uh, they have had no fans throughout this world cup qualifying process and that's been a point of contention with jamaican fans and so on this game this was the anniversary of that that day that they qualified for the 1998 world cup so they wanted to have fans and also obviously the u.s game was the first big game on their schedule they have mexico in january but they wanted to have fans to demonstrate that it was something that could be done Initially, the government took a look at all that and took a look at all the requests, and they said no. <laughs> and so literally one day, we all are saying, well, I guess we're all going to Jamaica, and we're just going to party, and we're not going to this game. Five hours later, the Jamaican government, under pressure from the Federation and from fans and, and just, uh, what, what do we call it, Eric? Bullying. Oh, yeah, A lot of bullying. Bullying by, works. By they were able to say, okay, fine. We will let 5,000 fans in 500 of them can be uh, from the United States, but everyone has to be vaccinated. Everyone has to show their vaccine card and everyone has to go again. We had to go through another separate process of uploading uh, COVID forms and, and vaccination cards to get even access to buy a ticket. 
Yeah. I mean, it was funny. Like, it was literally a Monday. Prime Minister comes out and says, yeah, no, maybe maybe in January. We ain't going to have fans for this game coming up. Then Thursday, it's like, wait, we're going to talk about it. Five hours later, yeah, we're going to have some fans. Yeah. I mean, it was you said Thursday. No, it was literally all that day. The Prime Minister announced it. And they then the U.S. soccer and Jamaica both had a joint statement that said there will be no fans of this game. And we're like, OK, well, that sucks. <laughs> and then like five hours later, Jamaica was like, ah, just kidding, man. Like, we're doing this. Yeah. Um, yeah. So on top of that, on top of that, this was probably the key where a lot of people are like, oh, well, you can't go. The current COVID restrictions state that for anyone traveling to tourist destinations which are all in the northern part of the island they call that the resilient corridor or the tourist corridor you cannot leave that to go anywhere else in the island namely kingston where the game is being played we are all staying in montego bay which is in that resilient corridor and technically it was illegal for us to travel throughout the country to get to kingston for a normal person to do that yeah like to leave the resilient corridor to the non-resilient corridor area, you have to, even if you were vaccinated, even if you had the negative test, it was like a 14 day quarantine you had to do before. You of which could you could test out. out after eight days. Yeah. You could test out after eight days. It's like, we ain't going for a week and a half to wait to be able to get out to this game. So we then were able to, and, and, uh, shout out to a bunch of people who helped with stuff, but mainly one person, our boy, Brian in Saint, collaboration, Saint in collaboration with a bunch of different entities, including multiple governments and multiple federations. And I think maybe CONCACAF was probably involved in this too. <laughs> we were able to get permission to travel from Montego Bay to the game and back because the third part of this is that, they had a national curfew in effect that was 8 p.m. So you couldn't be on the road after 8 p.m. This game was at five. It's a two and a half hour bus ride from Montego Bay to Kingston. So all these things had to come in place and they all came in place about a week and a half ago where oh, we finally if, if realized. That. Yeah, where we finally realized that, hey, we have an opportunity to go to this game. We did not even get tickets secured until last week, like not even a week before the game. So a lot of this came into place really, really quickly. So having said that, we had about 50 fans that were at this game that went to the game from the United States. And, and it was, it's, that is why this, I want to stress to people that this is a lot different than what the office normally is. I have been in a full office. It is one of the most intimidating venues in all of CONCACAF, easily the best venue in the Caribbean. And honestly, arguably my favorite one to visit but this one was a little different because there was only 4100 fans in the stands so it, we're spaced out and and doing all the things that we needed to do but the the hoops and hurdles that we all had to leap through to get to this game made me appreciate this one more yeah and i mean donald you can attest to this when we were in panama back in october that's when we all decided the group of us that had traveled there had decided yeah we're going to jamaica regardless Right. Like if we can't get in this game, we can't get in this game. We're doing what we can. We're showing up. We're going to the beach. We're going to hang out at the resort. We're going to, we, if we got to watch the game of the pool, watch the game of the pool. If they let us in, they let us in. If they don't, they don't. Whatever. No problem. And to have everything fall together, I mean, literally a country's 
a nation changed and made exceptions to their COVID restrictions so we could show up and go to this game. Right. Because they understand the importance of CONCACAF and World Cup qualifying. And they appreciated the fact that, again, we were just literally going to sit in a resort somewhere and say, hey, worst case scenario is we're watching with the watching with the staff at, at a bar and, and at a sports bar on the on the premises. And we're just having a great time and just enjoying a nice vacation. But the fact that people were able to make these last minute arrangements, train and, 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 and bus and fly down there and all coordinate on how to get to link up and and all this stuff that had to be organized. Usually that takes months. We had to do it in the span of like a week. And I think that is what makes this a more like not necessarily the most special game, but it's definitely up there of the special games we go to because all of us who went have a unique story to tell about how we got to this game. Oh, yeah. I mean, I feel privileged that I was able to make it in mainly because I left the hotel without my passport or game ticket. <laughs> so so we, I literally had to yell to the bus driver, you stop the bus. Like I had like I yelled it. Luckily, I realized it like a ha- quarter mile down the road. I'm like, yo, dude, pull over. I'll run. You can just stop. You don't have to turn around. Just hang tight here. I'll be right back. I was going to sprint back to the room to get it. But no, I left my passport and my game ticket and everything I needed to get into the game in my hotel room. And the dude literally just pulled a Yui, went back around. Everyone had to wait for me before we got to the other hotel that everyone else was staying at to pick up Donald and his crew. Yeah. Um, it was it was a dicey experience for me. Um, but we made it in. Um, yeah. I do want to talk about the actual office um, because I I think what people don't know about the office is that the stadium setting is like, what do we call it? A 9.2 out of 10 on the Cockacast. I I gave it a 9.2. It's it's up there. It's, it's, it's one of the best. There's a view of a mountain with people who live on this mountain who could easily look into the national stadium and watch the national team play. I think that's terrific. The food is an 11 out of 10. And we didn't even get all the food that's normally out there because of COVID. But the jerk yeah. chicken was banging. The, or I guess the fried chicken with the jerk sauce is banging. You know, they give you free water, which you need because it's super muggy. Yeah. They have water. beers. They, water. They have, it's called water. Um, <laughs> but, like, usually they have just a stream of people. And you can just go through. And it's like you can try all the jerk chicken you want. All the different flavors of jerk chicken. All the different spice levels. They have pink and white hot dogs that look like peppermint, the little peppermint patties, but they don't taste like that. They are absolutely amazing. The only thing that we were robbed of is the entire like murderer's row of the food line. We just had a couple of vendors that were out there because of COVID, but those were still banging as well. We all, I think everybody, that man made a lot of money on Tuesday because everyone who got off the bus bought chicken from this dude because he was the only guy out there serving food and, and God bless that man. Yeah, so essentially, just to give you guys the visual, so we got dropped off in the parking lot. We go around. We went through, what, three security checks, three temperature checks? Or was it mm-hmm. two and then one? Anyways, it three. It's three and three. Okay. Um, so we ended up like getting through to the near the gate where they actually scanned our tickets, sometimes scanning our tickets. <laughs> um, we get there, and there's a couple food vendors I think there was a, someone doing stew 
and mm-hmm. there was a guy with a grill doing the chicken, which I sampled sampled a little bit of. That was fantastic. The Wada stand, uh, and then you go into the stadium. And for me, like just from my perspective, because I haven't seen it at full capacity, there were plenty of concession stands inside. None of them were open. I mean, this is the first right. event they've had fans at since COVID hit. So there's, especially on late notice and with a reduced crowd, like you understood that why there was nothing inside. Um, the perk of that, of only 4,100 people, recorded attendance, 4,100 people being inside that stadium. Bathroom lines were great. That was great. Wait, you uh, had a line? Because there was none. But <laughs> yeah, but they literally no said, you can bring whatever into the stadium. So there was the guy selling the jerk chicken. You could have walked in with that. The water that they were handing out. Uh, there the, was the also beers. someone sell, selling beers. It was, did you have any? I actually didn't end up having one. Yeah, it, it was, was like fine. It was, it was the red shandy. stripe. Like, yeah, it's like a shandy. It was a lemon. It was a lemon paradise red stripe. So uh, it was fine. It actually, I mean, it hit the spot. There was a, there was a, we have to talk about this. There were some oh, yeah. people from the embassy who brought in two full Yetis of beer. Like I, when I mean <laughs> Yetis, I'm talking like not the little coolers, ones, not the little ones do like needed help bringing it down the stairs to the bottom. And then went up to the top and said, Hey, hang on. I got one more Yeti and brought that down. He handed me a Miller light. Uh, so thanks. <laughs> shout out to that dude uh, who handed me a Miller light um, from that cooler. But yeah, like it was, it was one of those things where, like, next time we're coming prepared. We're coming like they may have the vendors there and stuff. No, we're mm-hmm. coming. We're coming armed. Like Yeti, please sponsor the podcast. Uh, we're we're yeah, gonna need you school. next time. Well, also um, Miller Lite, please send us some fine pilsners. I mean, if there's Thank one you. thing that I did not expect on this trip is to see people drinking fine pilsner beers in that stadium. Yeah, for this it's game, first it's the first time for everything. Yeah. Um, but, but but no, like the stadium itself for me, not having been there, like just we were on the camera side. So we got the full mountain view in the background. And just like one of the things I love about CONCACAF, it, just in stadiums in general, if you can see like landscape outside the stadium from inside the stadium, you're winning. Like, yeah, absolutely. that just adds the experience. I mean, like Monterey is the famous one in Mexico where you see like the giant mountains in the background. Like this is just as good as well as the fact that like you got houses up on there with like the lights on. So like you see a stadium lights once it's dark out. And then behind that, you see all the houses lit up up on top of the hill. Um, also shout out. Uh, you love stadiums that have scoreboards that just don't work. Uh, so there actually was not a scoreboard in the stadium that was working. We were keeping time on our phones, which, I mean, you do what you got to do to know what's going on. And the scoreboard works because they've used it before. They just, I guess they didn't want to bring in the scoreboard operator this time around. Uh, But the other thing about the stadium is what most people saw in the stadium is they saw the track, right? That obviously Mm -hmm. the national stadium is really the national stadium for track. All of, you know, all the the greatest sprinters, including Usain Bolt. Yeah, the statue right outside. The 100 meter start line was right in front of where we were standing so that was also where we were standing back in 2013 when brad evans hit that goal in the 90 91st minute or whatever and he ran over to the corner he ran over to the corner we were sitting where we're standing i i promise you this this is not this is not a lie half of us were able to leap over the wall 
which was like, is like three feet high. And I ran down onto the track to celebrate. I ran to that hundred meter sprint, the the start line and got in, in a stance. Like I, I, I used to run track, but I got in the stance like Usain Bolt and then did the Usain Bolt in front of a security guard who all he could do was just groan because we, he had, his team had just lost the game. Uh, and then after the game, they were just like, all right, all you guys can come on the track. Just don't go in the field. Like, cool. No problem. So they weren't, we weren't allowed to do that this time. Obviously would way escort his, his banger of a goal. But I say that to say that there's a lot of history in this stadium, not just on the soccer field, but on the track. And, and the fact that we were able to kind of take that in too, when you kind of think about it, imagine an office full for, you know, for a, their soccer team, imagine an office full to watch Usain Bolt, the greatest sprinter that ever lived, run a race. That is that this place is just mesmerizing when you think about it that way. Yeah, no, I mean, and you've seen it full. Is the horn thing like an all the time thing? Do they always have the horns? Yes, the horn is an all the time thing. It's not, it's, it's something that's a staple of Jamaica. Uh, I actually have a horn from when I went to uh, DC United versus Montego Bay United right sitting sitting over here next to me at arm's length um but the horns are a thing and it's not like the vuvuzelas i honestly tune them out uh but a lot of people said on the broadcast that they were super loud on the yeah. on the far side but on our side there was just a couple of people that had yeah. uh horns so it wasn't as bad but on the other side i could if you were sitting over there i think there had probably been a couple of like uh spats a couple of arguments with people saying yo stop blowing that in my ear um yeah, yeah. but no those are a thing yeah. I mean, you don't really get a lot. We were spread out. Um, they had actually put like pieces of tape on the seats for everyone to like beat every other seat. And then they ended up yelling, coming and yelling at us, telling us to be every other row. So like they wanted everyone to be spaced out. So you didn't really have your neighbors stand next to you blowing a horn the whole game, fortunately. Um, but yeah, I mean, for the amount of people they got in there, I it looked like more than 4,100 to me. Um, but either way, it's, it was good to see, uh, the environment, even though it was kind of quiet at times, it was quiet enough that you got to hear the thud when Michael Antonio hit that shot. Like, yeah. You, it was that shot silent was, when he hit that. I mean, that shot is like, I mean, cause that was also on our end, as you know. Uh, so when he hit it, like half of us are like, huh, that looked pretty good. And then you hear it hit the boom, the boom, off the crossbar, and half of us just go, "Oh shit, wow!" And like even the even the fans, like the Jamaican fans, kind of like, "Wait, did he do that? Did that yeah. go?" There was like a, there's like a like a two second like pause yeah. of sound, yeah, from when the ball goes in to the time they realize that it went in and that it was yeah. a banger, and they all celebrate. Yeah. No, I just sat there because like that goal happened right in front of us. And you just sit there watching him hit that. And as soon as he hits it, you're just like, oh, fuck, that's going in. It's like, holy fuck, what a hit. Like, you, you were like stunned. That's one of the best goals I've ever seen in person. Yeah, it just was an it absolute was thunderbolt. Yeah. And it's no exactly why they, exactly why they, you know, spared, you know, they, they tried so hard to get him to convert uh, and join the Jamaican national team along with, you know, a lot of other guys for, that were England based. Uh, mm. I mean, that quality is not something you see every day in this region or any other region. That I mean, that would have been a goal in any in any World Cup qualifier on this planet. Yeah, we'll talk more a little bit about that game and the context and what it means. But 
before we wrap up, we do want to talk more a little bit about like the country and the culture. Donald, you've been to Jamaica a bunch of times. Tell me more about the food. Because, I mean, I had I had my taste of jerk chicken. I, Buddy, the, the hotel, we were at the Hilton Rose Hall in Montego Bay. Beautiful place. Highly recommend. Swim up bar. Beautiful. Water slide. Beautiful. They had the most delicious drink called Purple Rain at the bar. I had about eight or nine of those. Kicked my ass. Get everything <laughs> you want. But the jerk chicken. They had a little jerk hut. They literally called it the jerk hut at the hotel. Serving jerk chicken, jerk pork. Incredible. One of the best like cuisine items I've had on any of my trips around CONCACAF. Yeah, and I've stayed at the Hilton Rose Hall. I was at the Royalton uh, this time around, but I've stayed there obviously before. Um, I've been there a couple of times actually, but it is, jerk chicken is amazing. If you, yeah. in having it, you want to have it in an authentic place. I've been there. There used to be a shack right across the street from the Hilton Rose that has probably the best jerk chicken on the planet. It's no longer there. We checked. Um, it's yeah. no longer there. I, I don't know if it's been moved or temporarily closed. So I'm not going to say RIP to it, but that right there was the best jerk chicken on the planet. And they have different things, right? You have the jerk chicken sauce or the jerk sauce and you have the jerk dry rub spices. The spice one that they have is incredible. Now, that's not all they have there. Meat patties. Not the ones you think about in England. These are like empanadas that are filled with beef or chicken, but they have, obviously they have a little bit, like the chicken one has a little bit of a, a jerk spice to it, or at least a Jamaican spice to it. The beef has a little bit of spice to it, maybe some scotch bonnet peppers and stuff like that. Uh, but those are amazing. You know, their, their meat patties are just about everywhere, but no one does it. I mean, forget the empanadas, right? But like you're <laughs> calling it a meat patty. Jamaica does it better than just about anywhere else. It is, it is absolutely fantastic. But then we have to talk about, you, you hinted at it, the rum. Oh, rum yeah. is among the best in the Caribbean, among the best alcohols in the world. Appleton, pound for pound rum, straight up. But they also have another one called Jamaica rum, which is made by the same people who make Appleton, which is great for mixing. And that's what they pour in, in, in your Purple Rains. For us, it was Bob Marley's and, and, uh, American, and Miami Vice's that we had over at the Royalton. But this, it, I mean, everything about Jamaica's food and drink culture is amazing. So that also lends you to believe, okay, why would Americans go there? It's a quality time. It has some of the most peaceful, serene places on earth. Yes, the Appleton, as, as Eric is showing me, that you guys can't see. Um, Duns River Falls, which I know Eric didn't get to, but I've been to. It's in Ocho Rios. It's just down the road from Montego Bay. It's honestly one of the best sights you will ever see on this planet. And I, and I say that, I know what I mean when I say that. I've been to a lot of beautiful places on earth. Duns River Falls is one of my favorite places I will ever go to in my lifetime so if you were in jamaica i highly recommend you take an excursion to do that but really it's just about the vibe and, and oh yeah the, the reggae music is part of that but just the vibe of the of everyone who's there when they say no worries they really mean that shit that oh, is yeah. a real thing yeah there is no it's you don't have to worry about being you know hurrying up to you know wait 
you don't have to worry about, you know, dinner taking, you know, getting somewhere and having to do something really quickly. Everyone and everything puts you in a mood where you know you can just relax and have a great time. Now, you think the stereotype is like Jamaica. Oh, Bob Marley. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's like the Jamaica thing. No, legit. You heard Bob Marley everywhere all the time. Like that, like that. Why, can, why wouldn't you? He's one of yeah, the greatest singers this world has ever seen. Like, oh, yeah. That, like, that music, I mean, that is that's part, our identity again, for a reason. It, it, it exudes, again, the no word, the vibe that we're talking about here. The, I mean, you sit on a beach and you have a drink in your hand and you're just watching the waves go by. It's great. But when you add the vibe of what Jamaica is about, just, you know, there's no worries. You know, like you're going to, you have this drink in your hand and you know, you have 20 minutes that you don't have to worry about anything except how good that drink tastes about how beautiful the water looks, how about how, how fine the sand is and just have that music just kind of in the background. It is a soundtrack to life. And that is why so many people enjoy going to Jamaica normally, but for this particular group of people who went the 40 or 50 or so who did that. That's why I say this one's a little bit more special because for everything that it took to get down there, we didn't have to worry once we got there. And I think that is the real key here. There's some games where you kind of have to still worry about different things, but other than, other than Eric, you know, forgetting his passport for five seconds and his ticket, there was nothing to worry about on this trip. Everything turned out the way it was supposed to turn out. And I highly recommend when I, we talk about all these countries, we're going to give you reasons why to go to, to all these countries. Everyone who listens to this podcast or any other should go to Jamaica in their lifetime. It is honestly one of the most relaxing places you will ever visit. And I cannot wait to go back. Yeah, no, I mean, this was my first time in Jamaica. This is actually my first time doing an all-inclusive. Um, mm -hmm. I tend, like, if we didn't do the trip to Kingston for the game where we drove through the whole country and got to get out, see the stadium, be in Kingston for a little bit, I definitely would have felt like I didn't get the true Jamaican experience. But I think that was enough of a taste where it's like, okay, I highly recommend if you go, don't stay at the resort the whole time. Um, even though it's awesome, you could, you could do the water slide all day. If you really want do the lazy river, like that's fun and great, but you're really not getting a taste. It's definitely the all inclusive resort. It's definitely, um, it's kind of isolating from what the true vibes of Jamaica are, but I'm glad we got a taste of both. Come back with some great memories, come back with a nice bottle of Appleton estate signature rum, um, I cannot wait to break into this. I picked up it's at very, the airport. very good. Also, completely unrelated. So I got this duty free, and I had it in my check my uh, carry on because they seal it up when you buy it at the duty free. They opened it when I went through t security in the U.S. for my mm -hmm. connection flight. Like this is the second time they've done it. It's like, all right, if you're gonna crack it open, then why are we sealing it in the first place? Yeah, they do that. And I, they told me it was because they want to they crack it open to make sure that it hasn't already been cracked open. But then you tell them, well, you just cracked it open. So now it is cracked open. So what do I do? <laughs> and they go, oh, you're fine. We're just going to we're just going to, you know, put a TSA tape around it and give it back to you. And that's what they did. So, yeah, I didn't it's bring any bottles waste of time. Back. Yeah, I didn't bring any bottles back because uh, my dad still has a bottle of Appleton 12 year that I'm trying to get from him. Um, but Appleton is readily available. Uh, wherever you may be, 
Um, it's just in, 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 uh, in Jamaica, there's a couple of, of different brands that they have that are a little bit rare that you want to get. And I think that's what Eric got. Oh yeah. Yeah. So I'm looking forward to breaking into this. Um, so yeah, Jamaica, what a time. Do you want to do a real team or fake team? You know what? I, I hate doing it without slate, but I think I got it. So, so I'm going to ask the questions. Yeah, he's still busy. So I'm going to ask the questions. Uh, and as you guys know, this is real team or fake team. This is the, what honestly, this is probably what a lot of you fast forward to if you're skipping, yeah. uh, cause this, the is, highlight the, this of is the this meat. Episode. This yes. is the meat of this podcast. So real team <laughs> or fake team. <laughs> uh, I will give, uh, Eric here a series of teams, six, six names of teams that may or may not be real, uh, Jamaican soccer teams. Uh, this week is Jamaica, obviously. So, uh, Eric, are, you know, you got six chances. You had you you, good. you you've had some struggles in this, but we all have. Uh, but are you ready yes. to go? I'm ready to go. I got the ball of Appleton uh, in front of me, just ready to like inspire me to victory here. All right. Well, let me get started with August Town FC. That's real. August, August the month. Yeah, that's real. That is a real team. That team is in, was in the first division. It's been bounced around between the first and second divisions of Jamaica. The next one is Dunbeholden SC. And Dunbeholden is all one word. It's all one word. Is there a capitalization anywhere in the middle of the word? There is not. So just one word, Dunbeholden FC? Mm-hmm. That seems ridiculous. Yes, that's got to be a real team. That is also a real team. They are currently in the first division. So you're two for two. This is good. This is good. Okay. Um, now, keep in mind what Jamaica is all about. Vibes. Uh-huh. Um, Black Stars FC. Is that with an S or a Z? It is with an S. <sighs> C. You would think that, oh, it's got to be Jamaica. It's got to be a Z. But the S makes me do like the reverse psychology. Mm-hmm. I'm going to say, say that's a fake team. That is a real team. Aww. Black Stars FC is a real team. Uh, obviously, Black Stars, some of Ghanaian nationals, I believe, founded yeah. that team. They are in the second division currently right now. Okay. Uh, so you are two for three. Two for three. Still doing pretty oh, good. Okay, uh, yeah. Two out of All three right. ain't bad. Two out of three ain't bad. Yep. Uh, the next one is Falmouth. <clears throat> excuse me. Falmouth All-Stars. Well, I know Falmouth is a place. All-Stars with an S or a Z? This is also with an S. I think that's real. That is a fake team. Oh, um, come on. I believe Falmouth does have a team, but it's not all stars. <laughs> so Should you are now probably be a Z. We're now two for four. Uh, we're getting down to the last couple. Um, and the next one I have is, and this may trip you up, Marley FC. Marley FC. I think that's fake. 
that is fake. Uh, although Bob Marley was very, very much into soccer. And if you oh, yeah. watch any of his documentaries, you know how much he loves soccer more than he actually loves singing. Um, the one thing he said he'd always bring on a trip, on a tour, was not his guitar, was not a, anything else related to singing. It was always a soccer ball because he would always play pickup games. He did not have a team, uh, at least one yet named after him, which honestly, Jamaica, get on that shit. Like, it's, yeah, yeah. it's 2021. That, Three that little man deserves, deserves multiple teams. <laughs> Three little birds united. <laughs> right. <laughs> and the final team is Jamaica Easington Rasta Kickers FC. And the Z, uh, I'm sorry, the Kickers is with a Z. There's no way that's real. That's fake. That is a really fake team. Yes. That's <laughs> oh, really fake. God. Um, uh, if you notice the, uh, the acronym of that team, Jamaica Easington Rasta Kickers. <laughs> oh, you, you jerk. You yes. jerk. <laughs> yes, it, it, I am a jerk. And so would that got team it, be if it was real. Um, so you did good. You did four out of six. Um, which is very, very good. You're, you're right. At, at, I don't think anyone's gotten five or did someone get five? I think I, I think my second time out, I got five. I really got to put that scoreboard together. Yeah, to I know. Get, you, like the I know standings, you had a three. Everything like you've that. had a three. You've had a five. I think I've had a four and a three. Um, and I think Slate has a, is very, very consistent with four. So, yeah. uh, and, and obviously we have a couple of guests. So that yeah. was real team or fake team. You did pretty well. Four out of six. Yeah, I feel good about that. Um, we're going to go ahead and take another break. Sounds like Jonathan is ready to rejoin us. Uh, so we'll spin a little bit of music here, set the mood back and then finish up, talk about world cup qualifying. Thanks for listening to our CONCACAF Laser Focus. Jonathan has rejoined us. You good to go? Yeah, I'm good to go. Okay, so let's get right back into Scoreboard Watch. Uh, match day eight on November 16th of 2021. Uh, what happened on match day eight? Well, I know you guys touched on this, and, and I'm sure you touched on Laser Focus as you guys went to this game, but uh, Jamaica with a 1-1 draw over the United States. Um, Mikel Antonio with a wonder strike to draw that game level. Um, his first goal outside of the box for club and country, um, which I think is an, a, a really interesting. Um, just absurd. Just we absurd saw history. Stat. We saw that history. He, yeah, this is yeah great. He, that he's never scored out. And, and so um, Costa Rica with a 2-1 win over Honduras. Uh, Panama with a 2-1 win over El Salvador. Um, and then the CONCACAF game of the, the round. Uh, no, not game of the round. I, I would say that um, game oh, of the match, match day. day. Game of the match day. Canada with a 2-0 or 2-1 win. Um, Ache Ache um, with a late 90th minute goal to stop them from getting dosa zeroed twice. Um, in the 
absolute freezing cold snow on the ground um it 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 did warm my heart a little bit to see um you know mexico get beat i i did it didn't warm my heart to see canada go top of the table but um it is what it is hey i told you i told you tata had a bad week i mean (laughs) it was hector herrera's dumbass that you know kept him from going blank dosisero in two games on the road but for them, that's a big deal because, like you mentioned earlier, there's a log jam in this top four, and now they are stuck in that position where they're third. They're tied with uh, they're tied for third right now with the U.S. and Canada above them, and they really can't. I mean, they made they play each other next round, but like Mexico is like, hey, if we want to finish top of the top of the table, which they always do, they need a lot of help now from other teams who are playing the United States and Canada. And that's not something they want to ask other people to do. And there's sometimes where they're going to have to root for the United States or Canada, which I know they hate doing. Yeah. I mean, we'll get to the implications of where all these results left us at the end of this window, but just on this game, freezing cold, it was below, below freezing snow everywhere. Um, It looked like the night before that it, was going to be played in a blizzard and a snow globe. Uh, they ended up getting to clean off the field. The snow stopped. It was nice. 44,212 at Commonwealth Stadium in Edmonton. Just absolute fantastic turnout for Canada. Uh, two goals from Kyle Laren, uh, and then that late 90th minute goal to pull within 2-1. I mean, Mexico was pressing at the end. They might have been able to steal a draw at the end, but Canada out concacaf them for sure. Um, the one thing that was interesting to me is it got chippy at the end. So there were some yellow cards handed out, which as we saw um, with the U.S.-Jamaica game, the U.S. was without Weston McKinney because of yellow card accumulation. And that can bite you in these situations. But yeah, you have... Huge win for Canada's program. I mean, that's their, probably their biggest home win ever. Easily. I would think so. Yeah. I mean, the last time they qualified for the World Cup was what, 1986? Um, And that's the only time they qualified for the World Cup. So for them, and especially for them trying to get their program back on track and get it where it's on the forefront of the hearts and minds of of the people, where people will, you know, brave the the cold, frigid temperatures to watch them play and pack a stadium in Edmonton of all places. Like that was a big step. Like, because if they do all that and they lose, Nobody's doing that again, right? Like that. I mean, if you think about it from the U.S. perspective, that's how Columbus became the thing, right? Because they mm-hmm. had it once and it worked, so they tried it again, worked again, and they kept doing it until it didn't work anymore. This is now something where next cycle, or even further down the line for this cycle, Edmonton may be one of those places that they consider because they remember the magic that was created on this particular night. Yeah, I mean, for them, they put this game there. I mean, when you plan this game, you're Canada. Like, oh, draw would have been a win. But to go get three points and do it pretty decisively, I mean, you were leading at halftime. You make it a 2-0 lead. You carry that 2-0 lead into the 90th minute. Like, they controlled a good chunk of this game. And Mexico was clearly put off by the conditions. Like, even without the victory, it was a victory for the Canadian soccer yeah, I mean, 
and you know to kind of move us on to i mean i think looking at other games in the round because i feel like we we focus you know on us mexico and canada i mean costa rica costa rica with it with a late winner um from torres uh to to keep them in i want to say we're going to kind of talk about where these teams sit uh later on but really keeping them in in the hunt of the pack for for qualifying for for you know the next round or for the for the world cup yeah no i mean if torres doesn't steal that win for them at the end i mean gerson torres is a young player that should probably be getting more time uh for a costa rica team that's been playing a lot of old old players um to steal three points in a game they needed to win um it's weird to say that they stole three points i mean when you're scoring 90 plus five that's stealing three points but that's a home game against another bad team in this group honduras has not been quality at all and you needed three points and they got it um that's a huge huge result for costa rica because you might as well put the nail in the coffin if they don't get three here but they do and the same thing for panama as well i mean panama has been trying to fight to kind of stay in contention and getting that 2-1 win uh, at home in against El Salvador. Again, another big home victory for them. That puts them into fourth place, which is that playoff zone. Um, but they're still on, you know, on the inside looking in instead of the outside looking in when you're looking at the standing. So that was a huge result for them as well. Yeah, I mean, for Panama, like they go down in the first minute at home to El Salvador. And again, they come back in the second half and get three points. Like it was the first, point... like it, it wasn't even the first minute. It was the first like fifteen seconds. Yeah, I mean to get punched in the face like that at in a home game that it's El Salvador. Like you're supposed to beat them at home if you think you're going to qualify for the World Cup, and to come back in the second half being down one zero at halftime, getting two quick goals and then locking it down. Listen, I don't have the f- official stats. I had been looking at this earlier and I forgot to write down the actual numbers. But in the last like four cycles, I think Panama's only lost two games at home. They might not win every game, but I think they've only had two home losses in qualifying like the last four cycles. It's something ridiculous like that. I will figure that out and I will post it on the Twitter. But you can't go into Panama and expect a win. They're going to get a result out of it. Yeah, that's, I mean, they've played very, very tough for everyone down there. I mean, you're talking about the couple of wins that they had, the couple of losses that they've had at home. One of them, you have to go all the way back to that game that the United States played on the final match day, the the, the San Susi game in 2013, uh, where they ended up losing that game after being up two to one in the 89th minute. Yeah. I mean, Panama, we've been to Panama, like they've got a great environment that team is just playing extremely well. And the, I, I think we can move on to where the uh, standings lay. Jonathan, if you want to give us our, give us our standings. So yeah, so ending the match day. So Canada top with 16 points, uh, the United States in second place on 15, Mexico with 14 points um, up on goal difference over Panama on fourth. At 14 points, Costa Rica um, in fifth and nine, Jamaica in six with seven, El Salvador in seventh with six points, and then Honduras, um, you know, basically eliminated at three points. 
and you know, just talking about that that late Costa Rica goal. I mean, that that's a difference in them from being you know only f- like they're five points back, which um is a pretty big lead, but not insurmountable for them to advance to the uh, at least get fourth for the Inter Confederation playoff. Um, but being you know eight points behind is is basically an insurmountable lead. So I think that's uh, it's a really good place for them to be. Um, you know, with that win, I mean, that great place because they definitely want to be qualifying for the World Cup. But for a team that's in transition, it's good to see, um, you know, they're still able to get a few results here and there. And the important thing about the top four of the standings right now, as you mentioned, Canada, U.S., Mexico, Panama, is that we already know, obviously, the rest of the schedule. And when it comes to Mexico, not only did they really just go over in this window, the only again, they had the late goal against Canada as the only goal they scored. But now they enter a phase where they have the toughest schedule remaining of the top four. That includes not one, but two home games that will be behind closed doors because of the infamous chant that they have been continually doing. Uh, they only have a couple of games after that because remember, they've only had what one or two games at home that have had any sort of fans in there because they've had other ones behind closed doors. They have the toughest schedule remaining. Canada is second. The United States is third and Panama has the weakest of the top four, uh, the weakest schedule of the top four teams remaining. So that will be interesting to see how that plays out uh, over the coming months. Yeah. And I mean, even with Costa Rica getting those three points in that last match, uh, you still have that separation between fourth and fifth. Uh, a five-point gap when you have the six matches remaining, like there is time to make that up, but there's going to be a lot of draws. It's not going to be three points every window, every game. Like Costa Rica has got to come out and have a really good January if they want to have any chance. I mean, Jamaica, they're on their last legs uh, sitting at seven. I think El Salvador and Honduras after January when they both have to, like you would assume they're going to drop points to the U.S. in January. I mean, you're starting to see things really settle in. But, you know, Canada sitting it on top heading into the new year without a loss. I don't think anyone would have called that. And look, now when you're in the top three, especially uh, the United States, Canada, Mexico, they can look at the magic number now. And we all know what the magic number is in other sports, but for here is number of points. What is the maximum number of points that, uh, that other teams can get? And what do you need to do to eclipse them to make sure that you're in first, second, or third, especially in even the fourth position? Costa Rica has nine points right now. They're in fifth place. Jamaica has seven points. They're in sixth place. So there's only six games left three points maximum per game. So even if Costa Rica ran the table, they would finish with a maximum of 27 points. Canada has 16. The United States has 15. Mexico and Panama both have 14. So those teams can now start to say, okay, all we need are a few couple, string together, a couple of wins here. And against some, you know, if, if other teams are winning against some of these opponents, that magic number is going to shrink really really quickly so january we could see maybe one maybe two teams 
be able to book their tickets to Qatar by the end of that window. Yeah. So what we really need is like an ESPN NFL playoff machine for the rest of these games. So you yeah. just click the results and see where everything adds up. ESPN, you got to get on that. But that's my idea, patent pending. All right. Uh, so that's where we sit. Eight fourteenths of the way through World Cup qualifying. Obviously, we'll be talking more about this as we head into January in a big three-match window. I have to say, the two-match window, refreshing. Like, it's been a struggle getting through September and October with all these matches. Like, having just two match days, it's, it's nice. I don't mind it at all. It goes yeah, back three, to the old the, hex. The, the, yeah. three, the three match windows are definitely, uh, it's breakneck speed. Like, yeah. in it's, um, it feels very rushed. Yeah, it, it was a nice breather. Yeah. It's exhausting for me, and I'm just going to these games. I'm just watching. I'm not even playing in them. Can't imagine how the players feel or the coaches or any of that. All right. So that wraps this up. Uh, Next up, we're going to hit the CONCACAF Newswire because there is a bunch of stuff going on. But we'll start off the Newswire with a late-breaking story, which I'm sure by the time this comes out may be corroborated or not. Um, but we do. it's big enough that we got to talk about it. Uh, breaking news out of the New Zealand Herald um, with an exclusive that FIFA is looking at radical changes for World Cup qualifying's intercontinental playoffs. Um, essentially the playoffs, which are set for June of next year in the past, it's been matchups between different confederations doing home and away legs. So last time around, I believe it was CONCACAF facing, was it CONCACAF facing Oceana last time? I don't remember, but essentially like CONCACAF would face the winner of Oceana, like the fourth place team in CONCACAF. And then CONMOBIL's fifth place team would play uh, AFC's, I believe, fourth place team. Something to that extent. But it would be a play into the World Cup. So instead of doing these home and away legs where teams would traverse the globe and get to travel to some new and interesting destinations, uh, FIFA is looking at making this a one-off, single-leg playoff in a neutral venue um it's still being finalized but it's believed that the one match scenario is the favorite option will be given the green light the article here mentions that this could be placed in qatar which qatar in june i mean which is why we didn't have a world cup in june because <laughs> they didn't want to go to qatar what, what like that makes no sense whatsoever of that part. But I will say the, the interconfederational playoff used to be rotated. So the, obviously there's four confederations that have an extra a half spot, CONCACAF, Oceania, uh, Asia, and Kami Bowl. Last time in 2018, Honduras ended up playing Australia, which is now oh, in the a, AFC. AFC. So yeah. there's, that was a little switch. It was 2014 where Mexico played New Zealand. Uh, the yeah. last time uh before that in tw in 2010 um it was costa rica played uh, uruguay and there was actually like a little bit of uh, hullabaloo um and, and that playoff because as you guys know uefa has their own playoffs with uh eight teams to fi fill their final four spots 
Yeah. Uh, Jonathan, what are your thoughts on potentially changing these intercontinental playoffs? I mean, for me, I, I hope that the U.S. is never in this situation. We we had this conversation the other day. Um, I, my heart can't take um, the fact of like U.S. not auto qualifying. Um, so I just don't even want to think about it. But I mean, I think it. I think in especially the COVID world where you know we've had this such a compressed schedule to throw in an additional two games is a lot, and and then it may make sense. Um, I hope it isn't the norm going forward, but then the norm going forward is that like 75 teams will qualify for the World Cup uh, and we're going to host it every like six months. So um, what does life matter? Now, I should mention that the article does say the draw to decide which confederations are paired together is expected to be held in Zurich before the end of this month. Yeah, so, so we'll see what happens there. I, I think one thing you were talking that you were talking about it being a neutral site. I don't necessarily like the neutral site for this reason. At that point, I feel like you've gone through World Cup qualifying with your home fans being a part of that process. Why not? Why remove them from that final round of that process? Uh, especially for these, you know, for these four teams, it is the final round of their process. It's extra step. So instead of having it in Qatar, where why would you again? You move the World Cup to November because you didn't want to have anything in Qatar in July. And I see Jonathan uh, flashing the money symbol because that's why they're doing it. So here's the best scenario. Put it in the United States if you're going to do a neutral site. You know why? Because every does not matter who those four teams are, they will be able to have fans here in the United States. They will either be able to travel in or they have a fan base already present on these shores. It makes sense to annual and you can put it in an NFL stadium and make tons of cash on there. So if you want to appease all parties, but also make it so that fans can still be a part of that final step, put it in the place where fans can be a part of that final step. If it's not their host countries, put it in the next plus place. It's the United States. Put it in South yeah. Beach. Yeah. Yeah. Put it, put it somewhere in a destination where everyone, like everyone who's here, and it, especially for CONCACAF, that obviously would give CONCACAF and Kami Bowl an advantage because their fan bases will travel here. And if they're, yeah. if they're not already here, they will have people at those games. And that's what makes a World Cup qualifier so special is the fans. That's what we've kind of been robbed of during this this window at times or during this this tournament at times. But don't take it away from them at the final step when they need their fans the most. Put it where their fans can get there. Well, the article, I mean, it's out of New Zealand. It mentions that New Zealand, which typically is the Oceania qualifier that plays these games, this is like the game that's an automatic sellout. There's a lot of revenue at stake for these teams who get to play an extra home game because when it's home and home, like you're getting another home game and a very important one, you're going to sell out. So even if you don't qualify, even if you're the team that's on the short end of the stick, you're getting at least something out of it. You're taking that away from them. And with this, I mean, with the format change going forward, this is the last 32 team world cup. You don't know how they're going to do playoffs going forward that changing this one um i mean it's kind of unexpected that they're gonna go away straight from the format list late in qualifying and and for new zealand i know they're probably really upset about this because they have the they have an added extra advantage they normally have one the fact that they're on the other side of the world at the bottom of the world it takes 16 hours from anywhere to get there 
to play a game. So they always had that advantage built in on top of what you said with, with their just being, that's the one game that they care about. But with COVID, we've noticed that they've had some games there, but they have not wavered from their requirement that anyone entering the country has to be vaccinated. Australia hasn't either. So if those teams make it, you're kind of taking away that advantage too, because we know that some of these players on some of these teams are not yet vaccinated and they will not waver for that. That's yeah. part of the gamesmanship. They will not. They, I mean, the U S women are playing in Australia this month. They did. Every player had to be vaccinated to even get on the plane to go. Like they are not playing with that. So New Zealand was probably thinking, yeah, if we do that and make them quarantine and stuff, that is part of the gamesmanship of this. And that's being robbed of them too. Yeah. So more details on that to come. Um, if that even happens, Again, this report says the draw is expected to be held in Zurich before the end of the month. Uh, so by the time you listen to this podcast, we might know more. Uh, so definitely want to touch on that. Uh, next up on the Newswire, uh, big news for the Vinci Heat. Donald, what's going on? Well, one of their one of their own is going to become a head coach, finally, uh, in a well-deserved move. Ezra Hendrickson, who was uh, is currently the, or at least as of right now, is the Columbus crew uh, assistant coach, will be taking over for the Chicago Fire next year as their head coach. Uh, he had previously interviewed for quite a few positions, D.C. United. I think he was a finalist uh, just last season. Did not get that job. He's been at the L.A. Galaxy. He's been with the Seattle Sounders. He's played all over the place. Uh, but Vincey Heat stand up. You have a head coach. His name is Edra Hendrickson, and it's been well-deserved. He's been one of the better assistants in the league for a very long time and has earned his, earned his keep and has earned this opportunity. So best of luck to him with the Chicago Fire. Yeah, great news for CONCACAF to see players from a lot of the minnows uh, getting jobs in the top league. You wonder if he's going to have some reach to be able to bring in some more uh, Ascension players there uh next up jonathan what's going on in champions league yeah so looking we're getting getting ready for the 2022 edition of um the concacaf champions league the last uh edition of the current setup we'll be you know seeing some changes coming in um after the 2022 um but um some big things we have the announcement of the draw so december 15th um the draw will be taking place in Miami. Um, and then we also got some very important dates for the tournament. So it begins the third week of February and it concludes with a second leg, the second leg of the final in the first week of May. Um, the other thing is we got the seedings for the pots. So um, we know that um, in pot one, we will have either uh, CF Montreal or Toronto FC. So depending the uh, outcome of the Canadian championship, uh, Club Leon, Colorado Rapids, Cruz Azul, uh, New England Revolution, Pumas, uh, Seattle Sounders, um, and either the 2022 MLS Cup champion or the second highest or the next highest finishing team. Um, if it is uh, the champion comes from one of those three teams, um, it will be Nashville SC. Um, then pot two. So we have uh, Calvary AAS from Haiti, uh, CD. Um, Guastatoya from Guatemala, uh, Santos Laguna from Mexico, 
uh, Comunicaciones from Guatemala, uh, Deportiva Saprisa uh, from Costa Rica, FC Montauk from Honduras, Hamilton Forge um, from the CPL in Canada, and Santos de Guapiles from Costa Rica as well. Um, so those will be drawn out uh, for the set for the uh, 16 round of 16. Um, and then it will go from there. Yeah. I'm proud of you for uh, the, some of the attempts of the pronunciations there. I'm going to try to try it, try it on my own here. Um, so yeah, the CONCACAF champions league draw coming up. Uh, we also have the semifinal schedule for the CONCACAF league, um, the much maligned 2021 uh, CONCACAF league. Um, as you know, semifinalists and the two best performing quarterfinalists um, have already qualified for the 2022 CONCACAF Champions League. Jonathan just named off the teams, uh, but the first legs, uh, the semifinals are coming up uh, November 23rd and 24th. Um, on the 23rd, we have CD Guastatoya and Comunicaciones <laughs> Guatemala, um, the Guatemala Derby on the 23rd and then on November 24th Forge FC and FC Montagua facing off at Tim Hortons Field in Hamilton, Ontario um, in the first leg there. Uh, be sure to catch that hot CONCACAF League action um, here in late November. So that wraps up our CONCACAF Newswire. Um, we are into stoppage time. Thanks for listening. This has been a really long episode, um, but obviously Donald and I really enjoyed our trip to Jamaica. Shout out to the Jamaican people for being so hospitable. Um, I had a great time. Donald, you had a great time, right? Oh, yeah, always. And we will be back. Don't you yeah. worry, Jamaica. I got to go back at some point to get more rum um, and more jerk chicken. Bless up for the jerk chicken. Um, make sure you're following us on social media. Again, we are podcacaf, P-O-D-C-A-C-A-F on your Twitter, on your Facebook, on your Instagram. Um, please give us feedback, rate, review, like, subscribe. Jonathan, where can people find you? Yeah, you can find me uh, at jslapessp on Twitter, um, Broadway Sports Media, at Speedway Soccer, um, you know, do, doing that thing over there. And Donald? And I am at, at BlazingDW on Twitter and Instagram. Thanks again for listening. It's been a wonderful start to World Cup qualifying. Looking forward to the next round. And uh, yeah, we'll catch you later.